0: Today I am really excited and and feel honored to have as a guest Jude Weber. Jude, how are you?
1: I'm great. Thank you. It's an honor to be here.
0: It is so good to see you. I'm gonna I'll tell a little, tell the listeners a little bit about our our connection and and introduce you. Jude is um she's a speaker, she's a coach, she is an internationally certified EFT tapping practitioner, um, which we're going to learn more about, which is a, an incredible um, practice um, in the space of spiritual growth and healing. And she is, has a master's in spiritual psychology. And Judy and I were in a workshop with over 100 other people a few weeks ago. And as part of that workshop on Zoom, they had these little breakout rooms with literally just her, myself and one other person where we got to share little bits of, of our personal story that we were working on. And within, I don't know, Jude, maybe minutes, we, we had a connection of, of our own struggles and our own healing and our own growth. And that led to a couple of follow-up conversations and now the opportunity to have you share your story on overcome out loud. And I know we both believe there's no coincidences, but boy, that's sure a great example of it, huh?
1: Yeah. And I think actually that might've been maybe the only breakout room that we did, you know, the entire weekend.
0: It's true. It's incredible. And I'm so, I'm so, especially with, with having some insight into everything that you've overcome and and the courage and, you know, the vulnerability that you have to share that, because I know so many people struggle, you know, from an identification standpoint with some of the things that you've gone through and feel stuck. And, you know, one of the things that I know for myself personally, having suffered in silence for so long and feeling alone, you know, and isolation is, you know, one of the greatest kind of issues that plague our country. And I'm talking about before, before COVID people felt alone and isolated. And and I think a lot of that has to do with the lack of connection. And so, you know, I think part of what we can do is share the importance of connection. And as we get into that, maybe you could just start us a little bit. I know you're, you're, you've got East Coast roots. Can you tell us a little bit about your origin story and, and where you grew up? I mean, where we come from has a lot to do with how we got here and just give us some insight into where you grew up and how you grew up.
1: Sure. Um, First, I just really want to acknowledge what you're doing out in the world and creating this for so many people, because like you said, suffering in silence is, you know, it's just, it's, it's not a good journey to be able to do that, you know? So this is incredible. And um, I grew up in New York um, on Long Island. That's two words, Long Island. Um, and um, I grew up, you know, Yeah, in my house where I grew up, it was, there was a lot of rage, a lot of chaos, alcoholism, um, you know, just really never growing up with a, not even, I wouldn't even say a sense of self was like the, the minimum, you know, it was just, I grew up in exactly what you were talking about, in isolation, inside, stuffing my feelings, um terrified of being seen you know that was a risk and so that really you know and and one very significant physical abuse incident that just truly created the trajectory of my life and how I grew up protecting myself and and the destruction that became because of that.
0: That's so amazing uh, to hear. And I think so many people can relate. I mean, you know, the, the impacts of trauma, you know, and I'm clear to, you know, and, and we've had many guests on as, as we talk about trauma. Trauma comes in all shapes and sizes it's personal, it's, it's individual, and it's an experience. Um, I recently read that there is no opposite word for trauma. There is no word that, that, that you could ever come up with that would be the opposite of trauma because trauma is so impactful. And you talk about a few things that, that growing up, um, with some of those environmental impacts caused for you, and and can you expand a little bit on on that not wanting to be seen? Uh, because I think, you know, when we disconnect, when we don't know ourselves, when we don't feel safe, and I think that's what I heard in a lot of what you described in in your childhood. Is it, it, you didn't feel physically safe, but you're, you didn't feel emotionally safe. You didn't feel emotionally safe to just know who you are and to be who you are. And so you started to stuff that is that, is, is that resonate with you? And, and how did that kind of not wanting to be seen manifest?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, you are spot on, you know, it started, you know, my father's rage, at the mere age of four years old, you know, was already etched in my being and I knew it was not safe to be seen. It was a definite risk. And so, you know, I, by, by fourth grade, I just have this, you know, really vivid memory. I went to class very excited um, about sharing with my teacher how my brother taught me this magical formula to do division because I guess I wasn't getting it. And so I was so beaming going to class, raising my hand, which was already a risk. And when I shared with the class what he taught me, she had a very sarcastic response, like that's what we've been doing all along. And I was crushed. And of course, followed by the laughter of the class, the humiliation you know, of putting myself out there. And I just remember staring out the window like days and I just made that internal conclusion. Nowhere is it safe, not at home, not in the world. In fact, it's not even safe being me. And that, you know, that conclusion really, you know of course not cognitively did I really know what I was concluding to myself. But what happened was I began to use food as a way of stuffing all the terror at how big the world was and how out of control I felt. And it was the only way that for momentary, you know, moments at a time that I could control the madness of my world. And I, you know, that eventually led to understanding that, well, being heavy as a child clearly isn't the way to be invisible and not be seen. It was way too visible. So as I got older in high school, I, I recognized that, oh, if I'm thin, then I can get positive attention. And that would, that would be my protection, you know? And then I couldn't be rejected and nobody could hurt me. And so my body became like the epicenter of control. And that Projected into 25 years of my life, starving myself, compulsively exercising, chiseling and perfecting the external, you know, of who I was, thinking that that would be the thing when I would be loved. And really, you know, that became such destruction on so many levels. you know, until I, I, I landed in a treatment center, 89 pounds and on a feeding tube, not even, you know, not even, you know, really being alive pretty much. Um, and, uh, you know, my body made absolute sure that I was not gonna be seen. And in fact, you know, they talk about eating disorders is like dying slowly. You know, you're really trying to just stay invisible when inside, I was screaming for, for expression, you know, to be able to be who I was, but I had never learned any of these, you know, ways that was safe to be out in the world. And, um, you know, after my first experience in treatment, staying alive through the feeding tube, I went back out, you know, thinking I was all healed and I had never even touched any of the emotional, you know, or the psychological traumas that had really taken place in my life. And I think you and I had a previous conversation, you know, like 30 days in treatment does not, is not really, you know, the turnaround, you know, and especially for someone who like me at this point, I was already in my forties. So this was really ingrained in my life, my habits and my patterns and my ways of protecting myself And it wasn't even only emotionally and mentally, it was my body knew automatically, you know, the wiring of my body knew exactly what to do so that I would not be out in the world, you know. And um, what's ironic is that I was very successful. You know, I was out in the world, but my body at that point was able to hold all the traumas because of everything else that I was doing until that didn't work anymore. And, um, what happened was after my second time in treatment, once I really stopped the behaviors of the eating disorder, my body became a, like a house that just every trauma that was stored in my cells, just completely unleashed all over my body. And I was in bed for about five years, like a burn victim and nobody could figure it out. Now I had had a history of eczema. But this was like no doctor had ever seen it. And years of lying in bed, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, just seeking desperately any answer. And I couldn't, I couldn't get anything to control it, you know, not steroids. I was on all kinds of different medications. And I, um, you know, ultimately, I went to this one doctor who I thought could help me. And he was so kind, but after weeks and weeks of being on, it, I was on a transplant medication that they use to control inflammation. And, and I will just never forget walking into his office you know, for the last time and he just looked at me and he said, Jew dear, your largest organ is failing. And I became that dazed person that I was in fourth grade. I just thought, I'm, I'm not gonna make it you know, and um, you know, here's the turnaround. I came home that day and I had already been practicing Buddhism for 24 years at that point, And I never stopped my prayer throughout, you know, like even though it was, I physically couldn't even do it. I mustered every day to do what I could. And that day I came home and I sat down and I chanted, nam myoho kyo like my life depended on it because it really did. And something shifted. It was like all my unanswered prayers accumulated in that moment and I realized I have to take full responsibility. You know, I am going to choose me and not give my life to all these doctors to find the answers for me. And that's really when things started to turn around. You know, just that that momentary decision, you know, it really is amazing how when we, you know, I've heard that quote, you know, when we make the decision, how the universe supports our moving forward. And that was that was it. You know, I had made a vow. I think this is one of the most important pieces of my story, you know, that I made a vow that this, this healing. Was not only for me, you know, this had to be something bigger than me, and that I was going to heal no matter what it took, no matter what more life was going to ask of me, because I have to use my life in service to other people so that they don't have to live through isolation, living their lives, you know, with the fear of rejection, holding in their expression, creating, you know, illness in the body. And that's what happened, you know, and then. Things started moving from
0: there. Well, I mean, there there is that old saying, right? The body does keep the score, and I always and I I'm always clear as as a result of kind of the journey that I've been on, and, and I think all people that have an overcome story uh, need to understand is what you don't deal with will ultimately deal with you. I mean, there is really, you know no way out of escaping. And I know we all try to avoid pain and and we uh, try to find pleasure and and we learn these habits. And, you know, one of the things that really struck me was this narrative, you know, and, and, you know, they say the brain can drop bombs or food and and a syringe can deliver a, a, a life ending dose of drugs or, or medicine to save us. It really depends on what you put in the plane or what you put in the syringe. And I think what's important for people to understand about this kind of false sense of self that you created was you know, something called confirmation bias, which I think is, you know, we learn these stories that we hear from adults or teachers in, in, in both of our cases, and then our little minds latch onto that as the truth. And then we look for all the things in our lives to prove these beliefs. I mean, I think we, you know, I always talk about on this podcast, how there's two primary drivers to results in our lives, and they are the beliefs that we have about ourselves and the behaviors we engage in. And when those things are out of alignment, it's it's really difficult to achieve lasting peace fulfillment and, and any kind of, you know, quote unquote success to find that as you'd like. Um, And so you had so many, I call it a damaged personal truth. It was, it was damaged. It was broken and it was, it was written or, or given to you. The music was given to you by your dad and by these teachers. And, and that, that path was laid down and then you looked for all the things to prove it, but you didn't want to feel that way. And, and so, you know at some point every experience you had was just proving you're you're not enough and and that's i think the important shift is when we change the way we see ourselves then the world that we exist in actually changes cuz you know obviously your heart your soul your brain all the things that you you exist in the same physical human body as you did when you were struggling but you're pers- but the 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 language of of your heart and the language of your self-efficacy, what you believe about yourself has shifted, which has allowed you to become healthy. And and that's, I I just think so important to get to dig into about how, how, especially in high school. And, you know, I don't want to minimize and really want to dig into the, the issues that we have around comparison and, and body image and how, you know, a you know, attentive, everybody seems to be to that, but really to thine own self be true. And, and you had broken beliefs and and you looked for things to prove you weren't enough over and over again. And we always want control. And how, how, how did food take on that role with, you know, because you know, everybody and I, being in recovery from drugs and alcohol, I will tell you that I can abstain from drugs and alcohol, but you can't, I mean, you have to eat, you have to nourish your body. And so where did, where did the control from the food change from, you know, unhealthy to healthy for you. I know we, that's a lot there. I want to talk about both the beliefs and then the unhealthy relationship with food. Maybe we'll start with the beliefs and how you change those.
1: Yeah, no, that's, they're both so, so such profound points. I mean, you know, the beliefs, quite honestly, you know, it's a process and a journey. It took a lot You know, because I, you know, up until at this point, you know, I was in my late 40s and it's an ongoing journey, you know, even today, you know, having to, it's a muscle that I build and I do a lot of work, you know, to be able to live into my vision and, you know, keep a particular vibration and it's really intentionality, you know, but that transition, you know, you are so accurate. I walked around the world reflecting the people and the experiences that I felt rejected because outer experience is a reflection of inner reality, you know, so, you know, wherever we are, there we go. And so I, I just did a lot, a lot of work. I mean, again, you know, prayer for me is always, you know, number one, um, This now, now that's the epicenter of my life, you know, whether it's, you know, my Buddhist practice or the universal law or spirit, the divine, you know, whoever however one wants to language it, but it really is, I think it's important to acknowledge there's a co-creative process, you know, and, um, but I have to be the one to take responsibility. And I think, again, going back to that choice, you know, that I'm no longer a victim to whatever the circumstances are. And, um, you know, again, for me, I, I ended up, Uh, becoming a certified mindfulness meditation teacher, because I wanted to live that way of life. You know, I didn't want to study it to just parrot it, you know, like I wanted to embody it and live it. And that's, you know, that's my value of integrity. I like to really experience it for myself. And that was a big piece, you know, and that was like in the crux of the deep pain, both physically and emotionally, and to be able to have that, that, you know, the moments of pause or to slow my body down and to really, you know, have the courage to feel what my body was experiencing, you know, was enormous. And you know, I didn't do it alone. You know, I had people guiding me through it, and um, and that's the beauty, right? We don't have to do any of this work or this journey alone. And that, and then I really discovered. EFT emotional freedom technique tapping and that for me has been a game changer in my world you know because it's really about getting into the experiences and the traumas and the memories that have been stored in my cells which that's what trauma does right it gets stored in the organs and the cells and really unraveling such a tremendous amount of trauma, you know, it's still though, it's still ongoing, you know, it's not like I graduated, you know, um, my life is a process and I embrace that, you know, and I welcome it because I always want to be involved in growing. And the other piece, um, you know, that I just want to share that I think is also really important in the, sh- in the shifting, you know, is, you know, serving. Making it be bigger than me in my pain, in being in bed, in the dire, you know, internal, you know, suffering that I was with one day, you know, one minute I wanted to end my life and the next minute I was holding on to that vision of what could be, you know, and so I think having a why that's bigger than me was really the thing that pulled me forward, you know, just the, the rigorous and the um you know the persistent resilience of of visualizing that you know and affirming that in my head was a big piece in shifting who I would be in the world. you know what I mean like if I'm serving and I'm helping people, how could I possibly feel rejection of who I was
0: wow i i i mean it's it's amazing to me because I think the two pieces are. You know when we're running from something and we're running from our feelings and we're really running from ourselves. And that's what you were doing. And that's why, you know, I think you'll you'll talk a little bit now about how that controlling my emotions through trying to control my external environment instead of going inside. My body's gonna keep trying to either look for food, control food, not eat food. And then when food's not enough, I'll I'll over I'm, I'm gonna keep trying to control the influence that external things have over me by controlling what I do instead of pausing for a moment and starting to change the way my body relates to or reacts to external stimulus and make that an, I mean, we, we call it an inside job. I don't know if many people know what that means, but it's, it's like, it starts from how I process what's happening. I think Viktor Frankl said in, in man's search for meaning, right? That area between stimulus and response is that opportunity to choose healthy or not healthy, it's it's our choice, the steering wheel of the ship. And this is what I really hear from you. And and ultimately it's changing the dynamic and stopping running and starting to go inside, uh, so that those the, the food, the control of food, the, the eating it, the not eating it, the over exercising, you know, and shifting that to a, a mind, which is just being present in your own place and understanding who you are and and what you stand for. sounds like it became really important. And that's kind of what changed the way your body reacted was, was taking a second and and getting present.
1: Well, I mean, that's, that's the key. I, you know, one, just talking about the food piece, you know, all of the obsession, right. About what I'm going to eat, how I'm going to eat, am I going to starve? Am I going to exercise? You know, all of those moment to moment obsessions is all a diversion from feeling the reality of what I was feeling, you know, rejected, unwanted, wasn't going to make it, you know, like I was just a mistake. I shouldn't be here. So everything became, you know, an addiction, they call it, you know, a mind altering state, you know, and so that all of that obsession was just a mind altering state for me to never ever go anywhere near the terror of what that felt like. Um, I mean, and that's kind of it in a nutshell. And yeah. when it wasn't about the food, then it became about what was going on with my health. Then there was that obsession, you know? And so the body, as you said, the body keeps the score, the body, my body and my mind knew how to keep me not say, I mean, not, not seeing, You know, it then created, well, I had to be in bed for five years so nobody could see me. I was already hurting myself so nobody else could hurt me. You know, I I was taking the first blow. And so all of these conditions really is about the mind-body relationship, you know, which not only in tapping, you know, have I done that, but I have done extensive study on mind-body medicine. And that's really what I work with now about ways and techniques to just stay in the body when something comes up it's you know not going into the old responses or behaviors or fear and down that whole rabbit hole and you know how am i going to fix this you know which is just as far as i'm concerned a remedy for suffering you know because the more we resist what's present as we know what we resist persists you know, and it has taken a lot of, um, again, you know, rigorous presencing to be able to be with my body, let come up whatever's coming up. I do a lot of dialoguing and parts work inside my body and giving it the full expression, you know, as well as my inner child, you know, that little girl who felt terrified, you know, I give a lot of airtime and playtime to that because I think it's necessary to fully heal. If she's not fully healed, she's the one running the show. You know, I can be out in the world all day long doing whatever I want, but if she's still feeling terrified of being seen, you know, that's when the body does keep the score and the body starts to speak. If I'm not getting it, you know, uh, in a way that's um, graceful, (laughs) you know, that that I can see it in advance as opposed to being forced to see it.
0: Yeah and that's and that's wholesome and so there's the, the the parts of that are you know I have a when people come to my office I have a little um miniature uh replica of the of Tony Stark's uh, Iron Man's um inner um power source that he that he built to keep the shrapnel away from his heart and people ask if I'm a big Iron Man fan. And although I love the movies, the really reason that I have that is because that represented his power source that kept him alive. And I always tell people, if you've watched the Iron Man movies, if you've ever seen him have to fight an adversary, he never gives that power. He never takes that power out of his chest before he has to fight an adversary. He always keeps his power. And that's, you know, what I hear from you is, is that same analogy is that you found the, the power and that's what I want to, I think, one of the greatest things about this podcast and the concept of overcoming is that I see you as the as the beautiful, centered, present woman that you are. That you are the same embodiment of the woman that was that was sick and in bed, and that what you've changed isn't your outsides. You've had success, you've had all kinds of other things in your life, but what you really changed was the way you feel about yourself, and that's the deep work that allows us to experience life different, and that's available to all of us. I know it it, it sounds. I don't know whether it sounds woo-woo or or if it sounds out of touch, but the truth is, I think it's amazing that we're so adapted to listening to our inner critic. It seems so plausible that we can look at and hear what's wrong with us and believe it, but the mere thought of seeing what's good in us seems so far out of touch and seems so, and you know, so I use the word conceited, but it, it seems like so like, really, I should really just affirm myself. And it's like, yeah, I mean, if you want to listen to what's wrong with yourself, why wouldn't you look at what's good with yourself? It's really where your energy is.
1: Yeah, I mean, I so hear that. And I, one of the most important things for me at this point in my journey is like on a daily basis is just to stay really humble and remember where I was, because I know when I was in that place, if I would have heard that, you know, like it was so not woo-woo out there, but so it was such a far reach.
0: Ah, better said. Paradigm,
1: yeah, Right, the wiring and the paradigm is so strong. It's like a rocket ship pulling us down. And so that's where I believe, you know, from my experience, a spiritual path and support, you know, really helps because I for all these decades, you know, had gone from doctor to doctor and person to person and healer to healer. And I just wasn't ready to take responsibility for myself. You know, and I think that it's really important to mention that and not not as a blame, you know, because it was so deep inside of me. There were so many layers to, you know, heal before I got to that place. And not to say that that has, that's everybody's journey. You know what I mean? In this lifetime, that was my journey, you know? Um, But, you know, I think I like the bottom line is what you shared is it is inherent within all of us and we're all capable of that. And for me, you know, I always say my story is really a story of an uncovering of the power of the human spirit because I believe my spirit made a lot of choices for me to keep me going, you know? And so, you know, I, I again, I just, the hope that uh, the hope of possibility, no matter who I went to, you know, was still keeping me going. And I think that's the important thing. And I'm sure as you know, you know, even in addiction or whatever somebody's, you know, drug of choices, it's, we get there when we get there. You know what I mean? And, um you know, but we can get there. That's the most powerful thing I think to hold.
0: And, and, and that's, I think that's one of the biggest kind of celebrations of this podcast is it's, it's within all of us. It's, and I like you, you put it so much better. It it, it seems unattainable when you're in that low spot, that dark spot, the bottom of the hole, and you're looking up and you, you can see maybe there's some light up there, but I'm never getting out of here to see it. I mean, it just seems so far and, you know, I heard this morning um, from one of my mentors and, and, and a guy a bit even more of a, a business, but but a very spiritual business um, mentor, Dave Meltzer said this morning, fall in love with the start. You know, we all and I love that because it's like you, so many times I fell in love with where I wanted to be. You know, it's like I wanted this and I fell in love with that. And but it was so far away that it was the love was not lasting. But I can if I fall in love with the start, if I fall in love with just the small thing, simple things I can do today, you know get up when I say I'm going to get up, be where I say I'm going to be, try to be of service to these small, simple things and enjoy the start, then I'll enjoy the process of getting wherever I'm going. And I won't feel disappointed or pressured to get there. I'll just feel content in, in, the, pro- in the process of getting there. And I think that's, you know, when I heard you say that, you know, it's like, it seems so far out of reach to get where you want to go, but it's not out of reach to be where you are. You can always be where you are. And I, I think that is one of the most grounding things we can do.
1: That is so brilliant. I'm so happy that you brought that forward because one, you know, what I didn't mention and I there's not even a question you'll agree with me, you know, one of those, uh, those concepts, if you will, you know, because some people might call it a concept where they're not in the place to embrace it is gratitude. You know, no matter what place we are in, there's always room to find a seed of gratitude you know, because nothing is too insignificant to acknowledge or be grateful for. And that is in the moment, right? You know, because when we have that, that we know it just opens our heart, it opens a door, you know, and it's such a great beginning, Um, you know, and I have found that both challenging and rewarding, you know what I mean, in the moment of so much suffering, and, you know, the other piece that you were um, talking, you know, that, that it brought up for me was the breath, you know, like just being in our breath, the gratitude that life is breathing us, you know, we're still here. We We can find that to be grateful for, you know, and that's also something in the moment right here, right now, if there's nowhere else to turn, it's just focusing on the breath, even for a second, you know, there's no... There's no, you know, we don't have to like create obstacles of, oh, I can't meditate for an hour or 30 minutes. We could take a moment and just breathe in and out and focus on the breath for a simple few moments. And that can be a beginning.
0: How important, how important, and I'm going to dig into gratitude a little bit, how important and where did you find, you know, as you sit there five years, you know, you know, essentially, you know, in a, in a bed you know dealing with your dealing with all of the things you've had to recover from where where did you where did you finally grasp the concept of gratitude because i think sometimes people feel like there's nothing to be grateful for and and in their lives and you know i don't know about you but i just took a breath and and there's a lot of oxygen in the world and i needed to live and and be, even just being grateful for that seems to be a good starting point but where did you find the concept of gratitude and, and how did it start to grow legs for you? Cause I, I think it's foundational to a life worth living. And, and I've been doing gratitude lists for a long time. In fact, I started writing them down recently every morning in a, in a journal that my daughter gave me. And when I find myself, my little hack for people that don't understand the benefits of gratitude, if you do a gratitude list and write three things you're grateful for, and you're still feeling in self-pity or self-doubt, imagine not having those things And then relook at being grateful for them. I'm going to tell you right now that when you write down, you're grateful for oxygen, then you imagine not having it. You'll find you're even more grateful for it. So, so back to you and where you found this, this lifeline of gratitude. Cause I love that that you emphasize that as being foundational in your recovery.
1: Yeah. And thank you for everything you just shared. And I love that. And I love that your daughter brought you um, the journal to, to be able to do that. You know, it wasn't always easy, you know. I'm just really speaking the truth. There were more days than not that I was filled with anger, yeah, because I was in such a victim place of like, why is this happening to me, and you know, what is the purpose of all this? And even within that, I think again, I go back to, you know, a spiritual practice, whatever that is for somebody, you know. Um, Just to be able to have something that I could hold and it could be like a rope for me to just keep going from moment to moment. And, you know, also just waking up every day, even though it was really hard, there's room to just say, I opened my eyes today. I can see today. I can walk today. I have my body parts. I mean, it was really like, the basic things, because there were yes. times when I was so full of inflammation I couldn't walk, you know? And so you start with whatever is available to you, even just opening your eyes in the morning, you know, and there's actually, you know, my mentor, um, she teaches, uh, you know, there's five, um, there's five different types of gratitude. And I'm just going to share a couple of them that might be helpful when you don't we, you know, we can't reach for that, you know, obvious gratitude in the moment. And, you know, one of them is like thinking back to a memory, a happy memory, and just being grateful for that, you know, having the ability to um, recall or call up that feeling inside ourselves, you know, is, you know, is all part of heart brain coherence, you know, when we're in this coherent space, and we're breathing into the heart space, and we're calling up something, you know, that can immediately shift. The everything in the body, you know, from the brain to the cortisol to the parasympathetic nervous system. So that's a memory can recall that. You know, another one is again, what I just said anything around you, the smallest thing that you can find available to you to just be grateful and see how long you might be able to hold that energy of gratitude. You know, and again, even if it's seconds, it's, it's, a second more than where you were a second ago, you know? And the other thing is, you know, what I was talking about the future and the why is like a generative gratitude, something in the future, you know, thanking, you know, the universe for bringing me the healing that is on its way, you know, or, um, you know, bringing this emotional shift that's on its way, you know? And all these are ways that we can start to rewire the brain so that, the process isn't quite as arduous, you know, to move into the space of hope and possibility.
0: Wow. And that is, that is, and those words ring so true to me because, you know, I'm struck by a few things. First of all, can you imagine Jude, I mean, when you sit back and you take a second to to think of where you've come from, and then you see yourself on your couch with your beautiful artwork behind you sharing this story with such hope and optimism and clarity, can, could you have ever imagined, I mean, I think if you would have thought where you'd be now, you would have over, I bet you, over, you undersold yourself back then, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I did, you know, and it's really interesting you say that because, um, it is so hard to imagine, which is why mindfulness and living in the moment, you know, is such a profound, and yet uh you know, it could be a very, it could be it could be very challenging, you know, of really just staying in the moment, especially when our bodies are screaming and our brains are screaming. And Dr. Joe Dispenza, you know, calls it like neighing and bucking, you know, like we wanna be present and silent, but everything in us is just, you know, creating all kinds of havoc because being in that stillness is so painful.
0: Um, well, and you, you, you know, I'll, I'll share, you know, some, just a little bit of research so people can understand why, why that bucking happens and why, what you just described is, is so important, the the rewiring and the focusing on it, because, you know, what I've learned from, from my own diving into mental conditioning and into mindfulness is that our brain really does attach to negative experience. I mean, it's, it's, it's that prehistoric brain in ourselves that, that looks for worry, fear, danger, and keeps us on high alert. And so negative experiences, as you and I both have had, they, they get stored in long-term memory and get recalled very quickly, but the science and brain mapping has showed that it takes 12 to 15 seconds of intentional reflection on any good experience for it to convert in the same way as negative experiences do into our long-term memory for us to be able to recall. So I don't want to minimize what you just described about these experiences of the past that were good. Um, it's important. And I've, I've done this in workshops that I do where I'll have people grab a memory and really, you know, their, their daughter at a dance recital or their son at a baseball game or their significant other at a concert they've been wanting to go to and to, to capture that moment. And then I'll put a timer on and have them spend 12 to 15 seconds keeping that image locked in. And I think people are amazed at how long that is to actually focus on something good, but that's how long it takes to build that, that muscle of, of focusing on what's good. And so I'm so glad that you just emphasized those, those parts of gratitude, because otherwise, you know, we, our brains just default back to, um, that, that negative loop. And I've heard people say this is evolutionary now. I mean, with Joe, with people like Dr. Joe Dispenza, you know, and, and all of the kind of old sage guys like like, um, you know, Zig Ziglar and all these guys becoming, you know, even George Mumford, who's been practicing mindfulness since the 80s is becoming kind of in vogue. You know, finally, it's people are latching on, they, they, they want to know how to become you know, healthy. And so this is really important. So thank you so much for talking about the importance of grabbing some of those positive memories and holding on to them and really remembering them.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, you know, we all have, we can all, I think, well, I shouldn't say we can all, I don't want to speak for everyone, but you know, if, if not, right, if there is no uh, memory, then we can imagine one, you know, we can also, Imagine retracing and changing a memory into something positive. You know, again, we have all of this inherent ability inside of us to use our imagination, you know, to be able to, um, you know, change a story or write a new ending to a story, right? Or, you know, so like there, there's modifications that can be made, you know? And even I remember, you know, um, you know taking so many courses, but I remember when I was in that place in bed. And, you know, there was someone that I was working with and he was telling me to, um, uh, it was something to do something physical that I wasn't able to do. And he said, visualize yourself doing it. That's the step in front of you, you know? So again, there really is so many options and opportunities to begin. Like you were saying, I love that, you know, fall in love with the start. You know, and um, you know, again, right? Like a journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step, and we all have the ability, even in our mind, to just take that step if we can't do something physical.
0: And and don't you know? I I don't want to minimize how dark it's. I mean, when when you talk about this, this is what I love about this. The, the purpose of this podcast, its and its and its and its mission, because we're not talking about, you know, a stub toe. We're not talking about, you know, a scratch on your We're talking about a life-threatening condition that you were facing that puts you at death's door. And through the changing of your narrative, the practicing of mindfulness, the asking for help, I should put that first because it's, you know, I think, you know, obviously one of the first things that most people that have overcome anything talk about is the need to find that humility to ask for help. I love that you have a service mindset, you know, and a servant mentality around the fact that you're getting well not just for yourself but to be of service to others so it takes you out of yourself i mean these are things that when you talk about being the captain of your ship you can anybody can grab the wheel of their ship and and employ all of those resources to steer their ship and and god forbid we ever give that steering wheel to somebody else we really may just end up where we don't want to be and I, i i think you've outlined so clearly what it is taking you to overcome and, and what an example you are. And I would love for you to, um, to share with people your experience with tapping, explain a little bit more about that. And then, you know, I really want to help people understand how they can, can reach you because from a healing standpoint, especially for, and I, you know, I'll say this, you know, as a father and, 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 you know, seeing a lot of the, the issues that young women face, women need, really good role models today and women need people that understand how to heal and women need you know a very loud voice around who that being who they are whatever that is wherever that is and and i'm I'm so honored and so glad that we've had the last couple of weeks have had incredibly strong women who have overcome incredible adversity and challenge in their lives and that are thriving now and so I'd love to learn a little bit about how you uh, transitioned into becoming an internationally certified Uh, tapping practitioner, what that is, and and how that has served you and how it serves other people. I think it's really interesting.
1: Yeah, no, thank you so much. Um, And, you know, again, you know, uh, bravo to you for having these women on, you know, because not that men, obviously, you know, don't suffer in different ways, or, you know, overcoming out loud, but I, I do, I think, in my experience with working with a lot of women, you know, it's, it's, it's that stifling of their, of their organic inner self-expression, you know, that really becomes um, a challenge in, in life, you know, and I work with a particular group of women with expressive writing, you know, and it is unbelievable the healing that takes place, you know, when these women are all in a particular environment, you know, and just this safe sacred sanctuary of being able to express themselves for the very first time. It's unbelievable. Wow. And I'm I'm, you know, I feel honored and inspired by the courage that they, you know, that they bring forward. It's it's really, it's it's medicine. It really is. Um, so that aside, tapping you know EFT well it stands for emotional freedom technique and that's exactly what it does it brings emotional freedom but it also brings freedom from physical um you know physical experiences or you know physical pain and what it does is it's not like so so it's a cross between I'm just going to say like psychology and acupuncture So, the body is run on a meridian system, which is what, you know, if people know about acupuncture, that's what it is. And it's the electrical system that runs through our body. And so, when we have energetic or stressors that disrupt our bodies, you know, the balance of the energy system, any kind of stressor, whether it's anxiety, depression, phobia, fear, physical pain, adverse childhood experiences, limiting beliefs, habits, patterns, you know, any of those things, these are all stressors, you know, whether they are, um, you know, overt or not, you know, as we know, the body can hold in a lot of stress, and it can take on a lot, depending on somebody's constitution, and immunity, until one day, it starts to come out in different ways. And again, that can be physical, that can be emotional or mental. And so tapping, when we tap on these specific meridian points. And we um, say, I'm just going to, I'm going to explain this because they talk about in tapping, we tap on the negative. And what the negative statements are is really, in my opinion, honoring what is true for us, the thoughts that we're really thinking and the things that we've really been harboring, you know, and so because and I make that distinction because a lot of people think well if I tap on the negative things I'm going to be tapping that in you know but that's 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 a misnomer because what we're doing is we are giving the body permission and the mind permission to express what it is that we've been holding inside and what happens is as we're tapping we neutralize those statements and those experiences now Tapping doesn't necessarily take away pain or fix a broken something. What it's doing is, again, it is decreasing and diminishing the stressors that are causing any kind of, you know, disruption in the body. Um, And I know for me personally and many, 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 you know, people that I've worked with, it is so powerful because it's lowering the cortisol. It's literally creating, um, you know, us to be able to go into the parasympathetic nervous system. And it really does collapse, if you will. That's a word they use in tapping. It collapses these experiences that they're no longer in the way. You know, they just, um, it's really clearing the body on a very deep and profound level. and. Um, You know, it's, it has just transformed my life in countless and boundless ways that have not only given me emotional freedom, but also, you know, that I can now live in the wonder of my aliveness and that's all I want for other people, you know, is to be able to live in their full expression, really know what it is to live in that wonder of their aliveness and to, and to be able to live and experience inner peace and freedom.
0: Wow, what a practice. And and thank you so much for for I don't even know where to begin because these issues, you know, touch so many people. And I and like I said, I think, you know, they they're underlying issues that, you know, people have to face and, and when it comes to the way those issues manifest, especially for young young women. Um in, in the context of, of an eating disorder or an unhealthy relationship with food or exercise or any of those things to know that there is healing and to know that there is salvation and hope. And and more importantly, a life worth living. I love the way that you described experiencing somebody's full, you know, the full essence of themselves. You know, I'm, I'm drawn to that Michelangelo analogy where he said, you know, when he sculpted David, that the the masterpiece was always inside the stone. I just had to chip away at the pieces that didn't belong so that you could see it. And that's, sounds like what you've been able to do for for so many. And I know people are going to want to be able to contact you. Can you share a little bit? And we'll put it in the in the show notes where uh, your website, how people can get in touch with you and and understand more about what you do and and draw on your wisdom and experience, Jude?
1: Yeah, of course. Thank you. Um, So my website is www.judeweber.com um a little bit bare bones right now um, and uh but that is a place where they can you know look and get you know some information they can also email me at um, at judewebercoaching at gmail.com um yeah you know uh yeah i, I just yeah that i mean for me I'm a person, I know websites are really important, but I'm such a connector. I love connecting energetically and with voice. So I'm always a fan of talking to somebody, um, you know, because I think that that first connection, you know, there can be so much held in that, you know, there's warmth, there's compassion, there's a sense of safety. Um, So I just really encourage that. um, Should I leave my phone number? Is that appropriate? Sure, of course.
0: Of course, if you'd like people to call I think they would love you
1: three one zero nine eight five three seven four zero and i just you know really want to emphasize that like nobody has to be alone on the journey you know even if it's not necessarily working with someone you know i'm just available you know i i just i don't want anyone to ever have to feel like they are alone in the journey and nothing you know, so even I, i'm just a wealth of resources and information and offerings um because as i you know my famous quote from ram das we're all just here walking each other home and i don't i for me like there's no other reason why we're here if it's not to help other people
0: amazing what a great message to end on we're, we're all just walking each other home well i'm glad i'm walking with you it's it's not the last we've heard of you um I know you're, you're working on your personal story. We're working on that together. We've got a lot to do. And I just, you know, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for your honesty and your vulnerability and for coming on Overcome Out Loud. We'll see you again real soon.
1: Thank you so much, Charlie.